Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I have Sean Cahill. He is an investigative filmmaker and retired U.S. Navy Chief Master at Arms. He served on various vessels and duty stations abroad. Most notably, he was a part of the bridge crew on board the USS Princeton during the infamous Tic Tac UAP incident with the USS Nimitz in 2004. Sean is featured on episode three of the History Channel's six-part documentary, Unidentified, Inside America's UFO Investigation. He continues efforts, including projects on consciousness, ancient indigenous cultures, UAP, UFO, and desigmatization. And he resides in San Diego, California with his, two, with his wife and his two daughters. And without any further delay, I'd like to welcome Sean Cahill. Good morning, Dylan. How are you? I'm good, brother. How are you doing today? Happy to be here. I'm happy. To, I'm happy you're here as well. Uh, we we have a a mutual friend, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Lou, uh, an an amazing and awesome human, and uh, and uh, he he recommended I speak with you, and uh, and after looking through your bio and and things, I'm actually really excited to talk with you and and learn a little bit about your uh, your journey. Well, thank so, you very much, man. Yeah, it's really of course, a pleasure brother. to be here. Yeah, man. So you've you've had quite a journey. I was I was looking through a bit of your bios, and you, um, and I did it in reverse order. You know, where you know you look and you see that you did investigative journalism, right? And then you go from there, and you had some typical jobs, right? But you you got into meditative facilities, and then I went down to chief master at arms, which was <laughs> anti terror requirements and and equipment, and I was I was like. And then, and then it kind of like, it, it came to be in the more of the normal life or non-military life. And so um, I would love to hear just at first, just a little bit about what got you into the whole investigative films and led you up to this journey. Because uh, uh, it's not a typical path and I'd love to just learn a bit more. Well, um, before I went in the military, when I was still on uh, what I called the straight and narrow, when I was you know right out of high school and everything. Yeah. Um, I briefly attended college with the intention of becoming a filmmaker. Um, and that really, that has no real bearing on anything because I didn't accomplish anything that semester. <laughs> um, I ended up packing up the car with some friends and following my girlfriend down to LA uh, with our band. She was going to college. We were gonna, we were gonna make it big. Um, and that didn't completely pan out. So I ended up in the military. Um, but it's, it's been a, uh, it's been a really interesting journey because um, it, it wasn't it wasn't very linear. I just kind of uh, for twenty years I did very specific um, things, and then afterward I had no idea what to do anymore. Um, so when it came time to retire, my wife and I had a, had some long talks, and um, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't I didn't want to be what I had been for the previous twenty years. That actually led to a heart attack a few years before I retired and um, I didn't care for the person that I was. Um, the job, it, it led to too much of a, of an authoritative um, zeal and I wasn't embracing that anymore, um, especially after I retired. And, and you can't, you can't bring that home. Um, you talk to anybody who served in the military, you can't come home and be the chief or the captain or, or the admiral. 
or something like that. It's it doesn't usually work out, and if it looks like it's a support group surrounding that ego and propping them up, usually. Mm. Um, and I just did not want to be that person, so I started meditating, and um, I actually had no intention of getting into filmmaking again, um, or or into entertainment or infotainment, as we tend to call it, because we don't we don't write scripts. We just um, we just report what's going on with us. But um, it. When I met Luis Elizondo um, and got involved with the documentary for History Channel, it just became really clear to me that um, that this medium is it is our campfire. It is the way that we tell stories to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the way that the public is informed in most cases. Um, I, I think most of us know we're not in a culture right now that takes great pride in its education system, and we're not a people that that take great pride in their personal education. We seem to get our, our information and our, our social cues from our devices now. And I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to cast a, a, a stinky gaze at that. I mean, we said the same thing about books and every other way of communicating throughout history. They're going to steal our souls and mm-hmm. rot our children's brains. But I find film just, just be, it's, to me, it's a four-dimensional way of communicating. It's, it's such a broad palette that even even YouTube even sitting here right now people are learning by looking around at us and, and, and seeing things more than they would be just by listening yeah it's like a lot of the great technologies were really meant to bring us together right and and, and exchange knowledge and we learn through stories is one of the most powerful ways to do it because it's both information and emotion coming together in a format that would actually stick and so there's a lot of power in that. I mean, there's reasons why the, the hero's journey framework and a lot of other frameworks are used to tell a story because, you know, it, it, it captivates us because it's important. You know, two plus two isn't necessarily important unless there's a story behind why does that matter? And so it, it, storytelling is one of the best ways for us to share knowledge. And yeah, we in this, we're in this weird, weird time that allows us to have these deep conversations or stories and but also share it asynchronously at a sync of time and then anybody can go and watch it and view it and and be affected by it and have an impact and inspire other people on their own journeys which is super cool um what i love what you're talking about on this piece is um is you talked about you didn't like the way that you felt and who you were so you basically went on a journey and shifted your identity to being someone different through the process of meditation and and reflection and finding something that ignites your passion, um, which is this this new way to um, connect with people through story format. What what for you was one of the most impactful um, either uh, daily routines that you did for for the identity shifting, or was there a moment in time? that you actually had a thing where you felt you, you felt yourself shift from, from one, from one mindset to another. It was, it was more like, um, a, a, a tall set of staircases with very few stairs. Um, there were, there were jumps. Um, I think my heart attack was the first one. Mm. Um, <laughs> it was on uh, Friday the 13th, uh, in April, 2012 off the coast oh. of Africa. Um, and the set of circumstances, it was so profoundly unique that had it been any other way, I wouldn't have made it. They said, uh, wow. if I had been in my home right here 
and it had happened with my phone in my hand, they said I wouldn't have made it. But because I was on board a warship with a complete hospital that was there to take care of the Marines, cardiologists, and a full cardio staff, um, that's what saved me. Wow. Uh, but that was the first thing. Um, part of me thinks I, I gave myself that heart attack. And I know that physiologically, of course, I did with diet. I mean, mm. you would think at that time that I wouldn't have had one because I was at some of the best shape of my life. Um, at the time, but I was also drinking heavily and smoking, you know, we pull in, it was, it was, a, it was binge like behavior, you know, yeah. pull into port, go party, the it. party, the stress off and, and go back to work for 18 hours a day. Mm. Um, but I was a ball of stress. Mm. So that was the major, the major thing, because I, I realized that I don't like the word hate. I don't like to use it anymore. I don't even like to utter it, but, um, I had so much hate in my heart that I thought was justified and righteous. And I just didn't, I didn't like me. That started a depression um, that took a while. And it, it's, I mean, you could, you could say I'm still crawling out of it to an extent, but the next major thing was realizing that um, there's a local band called uh, Switchfoot. They're, they're relatively famous. I know Switchfoot. Um, yeah, they, ha they have a song called Dare You to Move. And uh, my wife had told me one day, I wish you'd listen to this song. And, um, she was being pointed. She knew I knew all the lyrics. She was saying, I wish you'd pay attention to them. And it's, and then I, I heard another song by them and they had a line that said, he said, maybe I'm the partly cloudy, maybe I'm the chance of rain. And for the first time in my life, the, the little abused narcissistic boy in me said, holy crap, what if we're the problem? What if it's not everyone else in the room that's the a-hole? What if it's us? Yeah, and that was hard, and it's hard for any of us when we first wake up to that. If if we've been placed in that position by our past, and so that was the big moment. And so I'll, I'll lose some folks here when I say I felt my heart chakra open. Um, <laughs> but there's no other way to describe it because yeah. it literally felt like something happened here that wasn't a heart attack. And I started crying, and my knees went weak, and I was looking in the mirror in the bathroom, and I kind of had a conversation with myself, and I said, "You can be good if you choose to." You can choose, you have the choice, Sean, at every moment to choose the good thing, the right thing, the wholesome thing. And that, that's what started. That's beautiful. And yeah, and people do get lost in the whole woo-woo, but I mean, we've, on this, on this, on this podcast, I've talked about UFOs and plant medicines and all these other, many other things. So it's, uh, it's, I love it. I, I, and I love it, Chima, because you, you had this point where you had this, this, voice, whether it's your voice or another voice, basically speaking to you that says, look, enough is enough and you have a choice, but you have to be willing to be brave enough to take those steps forward, which means you have to, you know, yeah. reject a lot of the structures you have set up around you and make a, make a giant shift, which is uh, a brave step into the dark unknown that starts a new journey. So mm -hmm. what, um, that's, that's so awesome. And along that path, what were some, uh, I'd call threshold guardians. What are some things that, that caused friction for you to actually make that transition? Cause you said yes to the journey, but I'm sure it wasn't an easy journey. Um, so what were some of the challenges as you tried to, as you tried to shift this identity along the path? The number one was, um, well, self-forgiveness is, 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 you know, often the last golden ring we reach for before, you know, 
helping others heal via being ourselves. But um, <clears throat> I had so much resistance in regards to validation. Um, I see it a lot now because I, I've, you know, I get to talk to a lot of very influential and, and I dare say famous people now to mm. communicate this subject. And that lack of validation for successful, intelligent, heartfelt people exists across the spectrum. Whether you're struggling to find your first apartment or whether you're buying your fifth mansion, that feeling of that imposter syndrome, that feeling of not being enough and not validated. Yeah, man. I, I've seen it everywhere. And it's so useless. But that was the struggle. The struggle was trying to go back into my past and find the people who knew me and say, do you remember how hard it was for me because I'm trying to get over it? And a lot of those people had had built uh, a foundation of kind of, um, well, of avoidance mm. in their in their own way. And no, they couldn't acknowledge what I had gone through because that that might have shown culpability on their part or, you know, or something. It, we're very we're very volatile. We, we react very volatilely to shame. It's, it's so profound how much we can hurt each other with, with shame or even the implication of it. So that was the hardest part. I had to leave a lot of folks behind because they, they could not catch up with the fact that I was stripping away what society and family and trauma had put on me yeah. to find the substrate underneath. So. That, that's so powerful. It's absolutely needed. I mean, people think, Oh, I'm, I'm free and I'm independent and I'm this, I'm this like independent atomic unit that uh, can do whatever I want, but you're actually in a, in a, in a web of a, of a, of a culture and a society, whether that family or friends or anybody around you in order to break free, It's like the way I think of it is musically, like you're playing a song, they're all playing the same song, but then you change the song and everyone's like, what was that about? That's not our song. But then by you doing it, they have to either reflect inwards at, at themselves and change their own song or they go, I got to go somewhere else to play my song. And that is such a, a difficult thing to do because you feel every time someone rips away from you like that, you feel like you lose a piece of yourself, right? Which is them when you're reflecting back, which is a challenge. And that, that shame monster is so powerful. Um, and as you get better at vocalizing, I mean, just in this one conversation, I mean, you talked about, self-acceptance and shame and grief and heart chakra and did that, that you're you uh, you're that you gain strength through the power for you to express your own vulnerability right which is a very yeah. very powerful very very powerful thing to do but it's a it's much like diet and exercise it's like it's like oh how do i be healthy just diet and exercise well how do i heal my heart just extreme vulnerability. Share share the things you terrify most. That's yeah. deeply in your soul that you're afraid you won't be accepted for. And, uh, and just be, be yourself. Just be <laughs> one of the the worst advice every every girl could give to a guy. <laughs> but myself isn't good enough. What do you? Do you want know who made me? Yeah. Do you know, Do you know what created me? <laughs> yeah, no idea. I love that. That's 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 um. It's awesome and it's powerful. So, um, along this journey of just of of um, self-discovery and then helping other people see their, see their light. Um, you've gotten into investigative journalism now, is it primarily on the, and we will dive into the whole, um, uh, what do you call it? It's, it's UFOs, but there's another term for it. Uh, you, uh, UPAs or oh, UAP, UAPs. Yeah. Thank you so much. 
the the new the new hip term UAPs. That's um, a better descriptor. Yeah, and and so that that makes it less less connotation attached to it. So the um, besides the the UAPs uh, investigative journalism, do you do other things in this other areas of um, lack of a better term, enlightenment and self discovery? Uh, what are the areas in terms of investigative journalism do you do you mostly cover? Investigative journalism, uh, it, it's a little bit of a misnomer on that part. It's um, mm. more because I. These days, I am almost completely involved with uh, UAP advocacy um, and working with Luis and, and quite a few other people to expand the conversation further. Um, a lot of people on Twitter have noticed that I'm not as active lately, and that's because the, the UAP slash UFO genre as a larger entity, uh, not counting the entertainment and monetized industry that surrounds it, mm-hmm. but the the conscientious research and interest even on the amateur front um it's it's never made it into the mainstream it's never made it past the beltway it hasn't been taken seriously due to the stigma Mm. we've been able to reach a new a new vantage point on that we've been able to um get in front of the voices that inform the conversation for the rest of us um within Mm. the beltway within within media um, and in some places within the realm of celebrity, because those people have broader audiences and they inform larger amounts of people. It's not a question of favoritism or anything like that. Nobody's getting these classified eye-opening briefings. They're just getting their attention focused on something that they may not otherwise have taken the time to learn about. And they're mm-hmm. finding out that, it, that it's real. And a lot of people find out they have their own connections to it. Mm-hmm. Um, as they dig deeper into it. But that's mainly what, what I focus on. Um, had Lou not come around, I'd probably still just be teaching meditation here in my little beach town. I was just, uh, yeah, yeah. San Diego seems to be the town for that stuff. I, I, I recently went to a charity event for my friend, um, uh, a friend of mine I met um, on plant medicine in Peru. Um, and uh, she's uh, uh, building um, orphanages in Africa right now. And uh, she had like a, a whole um, charity thing event. And uh, I went to it in San Diego, uh, oddly very close to um, uh, to the stars location um, over there. Uh, and uh, very, a lot of people, there's a there's a San Diego vibe of this thing. And, and, and I'm just wondering, if you're talking a little bit about the uh, culture of that in San Diego, it feels a bit strong mm-hmm. over there. Is it? How does it happen? It's an interesting city because it, it is a predominantly military city. We have we're mm-hmm. there's bases all over the town and the county, um, but the, the San Diego itself is it's a place where you pay fifty dollars for a steak with flip flops and a t shirt on. Um, you know, you know, you can go to a five star place, and yeah, and somebody's on the deck yeah. with no shirt and there's seals barking at you. And it, so um, some of the things that we host here are, you know, national yoga festivals and sandcastle tournaments and things like that. Um, mm. th- there's there's a vibe here. I not, not, not everybody speaks vibe. You know, I certainly didn't when I was in the military. You know, that was a hippie term for me. But um, there is a vibe here. There's a vibe of, of be good, enjoy the sunlight, and have a taco. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's a. It's a. It's a beautiful place, and there's some amazing food places over there as well. So that's yeah. that's really cool. And I also feel like there's something to that polarizing effect of 
how much trauma and drama the military brings and then what you need to do to heal yourself. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like the, you know, what you, what you did there was kind of a, um, uh, um, uh, a healthy survival pattern, you know, for mm -hmm. your own, for your own like longevity, like enough is enough. I can't, you, you, you get, you get put in these very high pressured environments and it seems like that the output is, you can go in a yeah. couple of directions um, and it seems like you chose a very healthy cathartic pass. So um, that's really cool. It uh, was my own shame that wasn't going to let me do otherwise because the, the option of failing my wife and daughters, uh, it gets stuck in my throat right now. I mean, it's like, it's as a man, and I know we're not in a culture these days where talking about manhood or, or masculinity um, is, is something we really need to do much of right now, but it, it's, there's still a place for it in our society. And if a man can't hold on to the importance of taking care of his family, Mm -hmm. he's truly lost in a narcissistic hell so yeah if you if you can't if you can't be better for your family then there ain't, there ain't nothing you're gonna be better for um yeah. and narcissistically it's not gonna it's not a healthy way to go it's a yeah. different form of energy um what let me ask you uh what advice or recommendations would you give to people to process their shame no no pressure yeah, no, that's <laughs> the hardest thing about shame is all the people pointing at you did it too. Mm -hmm. And the, the, in that moment, that feeling of being ostracized from the tribe of being removed from the, from the dynamic and separated is so, it's so heartbreaking. I've yeah. been on both sides of it. I've been the one pointing the finger, obviously, and the one that's received the finger pointing and I have found for me that, and no one likes this answer, but for me, it has been surrender at every, at every corner to know that as I, you know, I use the metaphor of a corner, but I have to know that I can't be anxious going around that corner. I don't know what's coming and I might get hit in the face and I won't be able to get out of the way. And I'm going to have to smile about it because the person I've chosen to be knows that the person who's about to bump into me didn't know I was coming either. Mm. So if, if my, calming over the years of my healing. I, I use the metaphor that it allows me to see a little bit more into the future and a little bit more into the past. My now is a little bit longer than someone who might be more anxious than me. So that's the grace that I have to give them. So as soon as we start giving the other, as soon as we start giving our bullies the grace that they can't give to us, mm -hmm. we start healing and, and their, their weapons become inert. Yeah, the, because um, you've chosen a new path, you have you have a certain gift with the lightness of your heart, and that gift comes with a responsibility. That responsibility is to forgive others around you, so so that um, because you know what the the pain that they're in, and so you say, you know, it's okay. <laughs> Here's some spare. Yeah. That's that's beautiful. Were there any um, were there any books or or things that that inspired you along this path are there, are there any ones that you have that stand out to you the very first person that changed the way i was thinking was sam harris and um i i was a i was a staunch atheist 
or agnostic for most of my life, bouncing back and forth between studying all of the various religions. You know, you know, you know the whole thing. A lot of us ran away from what we were we were told to do, looked everywhere else, and then kind of shrugged. Um, um, I'm not. I, can can you can you ask me the question one more sure. time? Because I feel like my my brain kind of sure. It was it. Yeah. No, I understand. And it's it's uh, what I asked was: Were there any specific books or materials that had an effect on you yeah. that showed you possibilities? And Sam Harris being one one gentleman. Um, Sam Harris. Him. Yeah, he opened the door for me with meditation and yeah. with with considering inner consciousness and considering that my that I was not my thoughts. Um, after that, it was, um, Gary, Gary Weber is a Advaita Vedanta practitioner, um, former Navy. Yeah. I, I bumped, bumped into a book of his and that, that was, I don't like saying enlightenment moment because the first one is the one that turns you into a total ego mm-hmm. and it's knowing that they, they're never ending either, that you continually learn more. You can't just take that first Eureka and say, look at me, I'm the Buddha, um, because I read the book and I know what to say. Um, but Gary was the first one that, that did that for me. It, um, I was sitting on my deck, and it was, a, it was a visionary moment, something, that voice that we were talking about, the one that's not quite yours, that doesn't speak in the same font you speak in. Mm. you know kind of mm. hit that rubber stamp on my consciousness and and the the duality of ev- I love duality I'm a black and white binary kind of guy and that day all the duality went away and then a week later it went away for a week mm. and it was a rough time my wife was a superhero during that time because we'd just be in a drive-through and she'd look in the passenger seat and I'm just like, yeah, I'm just over here crying. Nothing. Why? I don't, I don't know. They're just coming out. I'm not sure what's happening. You know, that kind of thing. Um, beautiful. That's so but, hard. As a man crying in front of your woman, she goes, Oh, you got my stuff together. That's very powerful yeah. though. I mean, but you need that because you're, you're never given permission to do it. So yeah. that's, that's beautiful. And you're right. It's From hard. That, it just became a library. Now it's a hundred book library, but those guys started it. Just keep adding to the well. Yeah. And I, I, um, in terms of duality, I've, one of the things that, um, it's, it's hard, man. It's hard to talk about this enlightened woke stuff without sounding like you're full of, you know, you're full of it. People go, I don't want to hear it. Cause the people that are in the path, like, I don't want to know about this. And then other people like, well, I know this information. And and it's just, it's one of the, it's hard to be, uh, enlightened and lighthearted. It is a hard combo to have those things at the same time. But I love, my my one of my beliefs is that the truest truths hold the opposing thoughts at the same time right you are both an individual self as well as you are also connected to the cosmos you are you know you're a speck of nothing and you are also everything like, i think those are the truest truths and you being able to hold those things at the same time if you if you can without your brain blowing up you know just like uh so yeah. um, yin needs yang to complete the circle yeah, and that's why it, it's uh it's it's really interesting to talk about the duality piece. Um, so uh, taking a going back real quick because I do want to touch on this before we go too too far down this rabbit hole is um so you were on um the USS Nimitz and and um 
that's when the Tic Tac incident happened. Could we just touch a little bit on that, on, on what was that experience sure. like for you? And, <clears throat> and how did that, and how did that plant a seed for the future of what brought you into where you are today? I was uh, stationed on board the USS Princeton. We were with the Nimitz. Oh, Princeton. We, it's okay though. We, we, it's, they were the bigger, they were the bigger ship. So everybody says their name. Right. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. Um, I was on board the Princeton as the chief master at arms. That's the, uh, the chief law enforcement officer on board and also the only law enforcement officer on board. Mm. Um, so I had a few hats on board as the anti-terrorism officer. I you know, did all the inspections and good order and discipline and law enforcement. But at the time, I was also standing watch on the bridge. My department head was the navigator. and He had a hole in his watch bill that he needed to fill. And it didn't require skill. It just required someone willing to stand the watch and learn the job, you know, mm -hmm. on the job training. And um, the Princeton was essentially a, a Tomahawk missile platform. That's what she existed to deliver those missiles. And she has an amazing radar array wow. to uh, look out for the whole battle group, control the battle space in that area, and ensure those missiles get on target, and, and amongst other things. Mm. Um, with the Nimitz on a training ex um, I was on the bridge as the uh, the junior officer of the deck slash conning officer um, who is basically what we're doing up there is we steer the ship operate the ship down below us is the combat information center that uh, or relatively below us that um, that coordinates all combat efforts air traffic control and, and things like that mm. um, so we're we're in, we're looking at the surface picture. So I was speaking on the telephone over a period of days uh, surrounding November fourteenth, two thousand and four. Um, we were off the coast of California in the vicinity of Santa Catalina, San Nicolas, and uh, and uh, north of Guadalupe Island mm -hmm. um, in our normal training area. Um, and basically, Kevin called me one day and asked me to start maneuvering the ship. You know, on certain vectors so they could um, basically calibrate some radar anomalies, try to pick them out. Mm. So he and I communicate, it was easy for us to communicate because we were, he was a senior chief petty officer. I was a chief petty officer and in the United States Navy. That's a separate uh, ranking structure. It's uh, E7 through E9. We basically, we are the stewards for the, uh, for the enlisted folks and we train the officer corps above us to be captains basically. Um, so we have interesting relationships where we'll, we'll say yes, sir, in front of all the troops, and then we'll, we'll pull the young recent college grad, you know, into the office and say, all right, listen up, sir, you know, and kind of set them straight kind of yeah. thing. So it's, um, but so we were able to get things done without alerting the whole ship to it. You know, this whole yeah. ship, went, there was nothing strange. Well, it was strange, but it was just business as usual. So while we tried to run this down, guys like Gary Voorhees were going all over the place. Um, checking data tapes and, and debugging things. And Kevin's going back and forth with the USS Nimitz, um, his counterparts there, trying to figure out what these radar contacts are. Eventually, we, we sorted some aircraft after them. We got permission to, to send aircraft. Um, it's now pretty infamous that uh, Dave Fravor and a couple of other folks made contact with those. Uh, gun camera footage, we got gun camera footage back. Um, the night before the gun camera footage, uh, Kevin had asked me to, again, go out on the bridge wings and, and he was serious. He was like, Sean, I need you to not tell your guys to go do it. I need, I really need your eyes mm -hmm. so I can trust this. Can you go out with the binoculars and look around? So I went out on the port side bridge wing 
that's the left side of the ship for those who aren't nautically inclined. And uh, I was looking forward um, and up at about 45 degrees when I saw five to seven lights in the sky that were turning in a counterclockwise fashion towards the center and blinking out. And I turned to the young lookout who was on watch with me and I said, did you see that? And using more salty language, he said, yeah, I sure did, chief. And we just kind of shook our head and, and went back in. You know, I went back into the bridge and I called Kevin and the rest of the night kind of just reflected on it. In the morning, um, I Kevin, I went out to breakfast and spoke to Kevin and another senior chief and asked mm-hmm. him, what do you guys got me doing up there on the bridge? This is ridiculous and it's starting to tick me off. Um, what's up? And Kevin had the hugest grin on his face and he said, you need to go look at your email. Go in the back and look at your your email. And so in the chief's mess, we had what's called a SipperNet computer. That's the the secret side of the internet that we you know that's that has more uh, restrictions on it. And on there, there was the video that was um, it was a condensed version of what most of us have seen now, but it was all of the major phase changes that the UAP went through: uh, acceleration, different. Um, they showed it to us in IR and, and um, visible light. And at first, I thought exactly what we all think today. I was like, holy crap, that's a, that's a real UFO. Like this Mm. is bigger than Roswell. This is insane. We're all going to be famous. This is the, this is going to change the world. This like all these things. And then we chatted about it a little bit over breakfast, kind of excitedly looking forward to our intelligence briefing that night because it was uh, operations intelligence briefing, which was Mm. pretty standard and not interesting normally. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that night either. We, they, um, ironically, uh, I was asked by this, the senior chief cryptological technician to stand by the door to help his folks in case anyone gave them beef about their security clearance being lapsed. Because mm-hmm. normally, we didn't always kick everybody out when you were supposed to because the information was so, so benign. Um, when we're out in the local operating area. So if it, it might be classified mm-hmm. weather, like it's going to rain tomorrow, the enemy can't know it's going to rain tomorrow because our weather not. but um at the at the thing no one cared it, we uh the captain sat down the lieutenant came out to start the briefing he goes first slide and little this was in 2004 so the graphics were horrible but it was powerpoint and this little alien floats across the screen makes a little noise and um we all have a laugh half the folks ask why the other half are laughing we briefly, you know, murmur around the room and explain it. And then the captain says, well, we had an interesting few days. Now that that's over, let's move on. And that was it. And there was there was no emotion, no discussion. There, there, we all just put it yeah. to bed right then and there and assumed it was DARPA, assumed it was one of ours because Captain Smith would have said something because he was, he was one of those guys that he always gave it to you straight. It didn't matter what it was. So in this case, we couldn't figure out, Does he? I thought he must know something. That, that was what it was for me. I was like, we just treated that like a classified eye. Now, going back, it turns out it was all stigma, that everyone was really freaked out by it. People had come on board and took the tapes, and um, it was a very weird, weird thing. I mean, that was all very real. It all happened. Yeah. The five observables that Lou talks about were present. So, um, But to, to wrap it up for you, um, I became a diehard materialist and atheist after that. That, there was no UFOs. There was no spiritualism for me. I spent the intervening years trying to hammer my existence into, in, you know, um, into submission. Now, was that due to 
so you you experienced this firsthand, which is uh, a powerful effect. And so from that, it shifted you to staunch materialism and atheism. Because now was that was that that was the narrative that you were telling yourself about what the story meant about the experience was around these these are real if UFOs, they really do exist? Or was the other thing saying, no, these are actual, um, this is some sort of DARPA thing. What was the, what what caused the conversion to atheism and materialism? It was the belief that the, the UFOs were real or that they weren't real? What I've given it? a lot of thought to that over the over recent years. And um, I finally come to the conclusion that um, I, I found all of this subject incredibly interesting before. Like all of my, um, my knowledge on it now hasn't come just in the last three years. I had, I was interested in it from, early, early childhood up until that moment. Um, I'd seen other UAP before, yeah. numerous actually prior to that and since, um, which really muddies the water when, you know, for a lot of people when they can't understand why they've never seen one and some other people seem to have seen numerous. Mm -hmm. But that day, I think I needed it to be real mm -hmm. and I needed it to be acknowledged. And when it wasn't, I'd had it. I was, I was angry. Um, I think I was angry at a universe. I, it, it got, it, it really did get bad. I mean, like I, to the point where I didn't, I wasn't even happy that my kid was so into Harry Potter years later. Um, because I thought it, I, it was all BS to me. It was like all of this, I'd given up on religion, given up on spiritualism. And when it was time for the UFOs to wave, they turned out to be ours in my opinion. Mm. And it, it, in a way it broke my heart. I mean, it hardened me. And it's weird, but yeah, that's interesting. So, um, so looking at back and forth, so if you needed it to be real, but there was a storyline, a sub storyline saying that wasn't real, which basically was a reflection of your inner self of you weren't being real. Right. And so you rejected, and so you rejected, you rejected everything that wasn't real because you were trying to dig out the unrealness inside you. Is that accurate? I, yeah, I think I didn't want to. You know how we never want to be first. My my mm -hmm. complaint in my life existentially is why do I always got to be the one to get over it first? Um, I feel like in, that I'm the I'm the one that has to wave the white flag and surrender. Now you you'd think that because I'm I would give you that advice to do that that I would know to do it, but I haven't I haven't gotten it yet. I'm still still preaching and not practicing that well. But um, it's yeah it. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is. Um, it, it, it just, uh, how do you, how do you climb out from that? You know what I mean? When, when you were, I had a lifetime ready, ready to surrender. And I think in that, in, I think conceptually I was ready to surrender to that moment mm -hmm. and my environment and our reaction and the people said, that's a waste of your time. You fool. You know, and I took it to heart. Yeah. Um, it, was, it wasn't. That's why I, I, I'm very grateful to Lou, because if, if he and Chris Mellon and other folks hadn't had the courage to speak up and to, to bring this to light, I'd probably still be. I don't know. I mean, I'd found meditation and all that, but I, I mm. still had a long way to go with some of this. Mm. Well, it's like almost someone telling you that. Um... Like, it's not the same thing, but like Santa Claus isn't real. Like someone stole the bit of your magic, right? Yeah. And you're like, I saw him. He was flying overhead counterclockwise with five of his reindeer friends, but you're telling me he's not real? 
and then it, and there's that whole like oh my gosh um you know and then there's got to be something some part of the hero's journey um yeah. that involves you know when the gods lie to you because mm-hmm. in this case it's the same thing it's because you know the 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 gods in in the guise of our government mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know the control structure that we submit to were the ones that i let inform my opinion yeah um there's something very promethean about overcoming that level of authority so yeah no there is absolutely there it makes me go through all this it could be the atonement of the father or it could be i don't i don't know i'm, I'm having to think of where that would where that would fit in the story but there is something where you reject you reject the, the 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 mainstream and you step into you know it's the what you did is you crossed into the supernatural there's a crossing the threshold and when that when that thing went off it basically put you on that path where you're, you didn't go okay what I've been told isn't real. What everyone says is real isn't real. And now I am on this journey, and you're in this. You're in the path of the underworld, as supernatural, where you're going through and you're, you know, on the journey, which is battling threshold guardians. And there's various things that go along that those stages, which is which is super fascinating. And again, this story, fa- the story framework of the hero's journey is a story of human transformation. That's why we're fascinated with it. It takes a lot of effort. We all wish we could transform, but nobody wants to put in the effort. You know. And everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. All that fun stuff. Yeah. So it's the same type of thing. So now with where you're at now, saying you needed to believe, needing it to be real, but then rejected it. Do, I mean, do you believe that what was experienced, the uh, the Tic Tac and all that, do you believe that was um, the uh, UAPs? Was that a, do you now looking, reflecting back at that? Is that, is that where your current stance is? I, I do. That's based on a semi-informed opinion. I mean, when you can look people in the eye who, and when, you know, and, and get to hang out with them and they ran the program, even if they can't tell you what the conclusions of the program was due to classification, you can pick a vibe up. And when you look at your friend and go, Hey, us or us or not. And they, and he says, not like, like that's, yeah. yeah, that's not classified. That's an impression. Um, and now other people are going to go, hey, he said not, you know, I don't know how, how far, you know, like headline that'll go. But for me, that's enough. You know, yeah. like like when you trust a friend, when you have that 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 beyond material connection and you have you you already have actual faith in them, you yeah. know, where you're willing to give them that grace. Um, the implications of your of, of that kind of thing. It, it cascades as far as you're willing to follow it. You know what I mean? Like if that wasn't real, the universe just got, or excuse me, if that wasn't us, Mm. us being anyone we can identify, um, the universe just got really, really interesting. And the boundaries just moved out way farther than I had them before. And so it was, um, you're going to love this because it's going to make so much sense, especially to your show. But the, the, Mm. the, most important foundational thing for me was that I fell right into the archetypes mm. is that the idea that, that, that there, there is this continually repeating idea of 12 different facets and, you know, and, and things like that and, mm. and certain cherry picking aspects of Gnosticism and other, um, other ideals. Mm. It really helped out a lot to realize that, while I am an individual and I'm Sean and I don't have to get wrapped around the axle about that, mm. you and I are both made up of probably just disparate numbers of the same thing. Like, like our personalities are just made up of, of 
the same bucket of ingredients with, with different amounts. Mm. And we're given a chance to balance that out and find each other. And I've, I've just, that, it turns so many people off when you talk about journey sometimes, mm. and when you talk about connection. But I'm not, I'm not worried about that. You're, you, you don't have, you know, I don't imagine your audience is too opposed to that. Mm-hmm. But like now you and I have a connection. Now you're on my journey and I'm, I'm vulnerable enough to say those things. But for me, it's really magical because it's, I was not the person that was growing that network before. And so yeah. I can see me in you already. And that makes you me. And now I want to look out for you. And it's, I don't find it to be selfish. I, I think that we need to immediately try to find ourselves in the other. Mm. And as soon as you can, then you can give them that, that love and protection and room to grow so they can give it back. So that's, that's super powerful, man. I, I totally agree. The, um, you know, one of the, uh, the way that we evolved or however you want to call it is, I mean, by, by having the ability to empathize with other people and the ability to connect with them and long form communication um, is really one of the, the best, deepest ways to get to know someone sitting down with someone uh, sometimes with a beer or some mm-hmm. other substance and getting to know people um, is, is a very powerful way. Cause you really do, you, you, you feel a connection and then you feel them. And like, you like, I give a kind of a silly example. Uh, if, if, if I saw someone kick you in the balls, I would grab my own. I would, mm-hmm. feel, I would feel your pain. Right. I would, I would literally go, Ooh, cause I feel me in you. And it's a silly yeah. example, but it's true. And, and the, the deeper you are connected with someone, the more you feel it and why the exact opposite of with the military is why they, they, they dehumanize, like <laughs> they dehuman. I don't know how to say the word, but they got dehumanize, it. Yeah. Thank you. Dehumanize. Thank you so much that they, they do that. The people, which causes you to create disconnect and treat them as others versus if you can find uh, and, and I'm not at this point where you pick up a blade of grass and you're like, Oh, this is me. I'm not quite there. I know that's where right. I'm supposed to get, but I'm not quite there yet. So, right. but it's, but it's, it's a powerful thing. And I agree with you. We are in this weird game of life thing. We are sometimes, um, other people's non-player characters in their game of life. And we're sometimes journeys and we, when we point and sometimes we, we give them information, go, Hey, turn left at the fork in the road. Right. And, uh, put you on a whole, whole different path. I came across Lou, um, in, uh, Patagonia, like just catching up, just, just catching our buses to go back to Uber. And we're both like, yeah, He's like, what's with all your bags? I was like, oh, we were in Shwaya shooting a movie, uh, TV show. And he goes, I was in Shwaya shooting a TV show. I was like, oh, we're going back to California. He's like, I'm going back to California. I was like, did we just become friends? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like what happened? And then, like, and then you know, you go on the journeys and you get brought up in these places. So it's it's a really interesting thing. Do you do you feel like what is that? Like what is that? Like the universe seems to give us these uh these people these opportunities these insights these things like that um are we living in a giant matrix game or is it is it the cosmos like what is what is your interpretation of why the stars tend to line up for the people that seek it it's 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 funny that must be the thing i say more than anything else is it's funny or it's weird Mm -hmm. um there's two sides there is a duality to our existence you can have um the one plus one equals two, you know, harsh build upon a thing, reality, material, uh, you know, 
um, you know, live in a completely material world about gain and loss. Um, and that's a completely dualistic thing in itself. Or you can give in to something more subtle um, and let the game take you along on, on the ride. And that's why I do tend to call it a game. I called it a simulation for a while. Um, I, don't, I don't spend too much time talking about it because for a lot of people that means it's fake. Mm. Not at all to me. Um, how you approach any game ethically, it says far more about you and your understanding of the whole world than it does about anything else. Um, I don't play all my video games ethically now. <laughs> like I play a racing game where I where I the goal is to win, you know. Yeah, so I yeah. try to come in first, and there's crashing involved. Yeah. But I don't I don't play a lot of first person shooters or anything anymore because the intent is different. Mm -hmm. um, we are we're just uh, I'm not I'm not afraid to say that what we experience isn't completely accurate the way that we've been brought up to visualize the world. But I do think that the more that I surrender to it, the more interesting it becomes. Um, it's not what I thought it was. I'm not. I'm. This idea of surrender hasn't led me to be manipulated or hurt or used or anything. Every time I open my heart to somebody and say yes, more doors open and more pathways open. So I think that the most likely explanation is I go back a lot of times to to Hindu and, um, and ancient texts where they really tried to get into what we were before we were surrounded by all these distractions. And I like the, the metaphor of Indra's web. I like to think mm -hmm. that we're nodes along that web, mm -hmm. you know, and you can bring in the ideas of entanglement. Some people like to say, uh, soul groups and things like that. I'm not, I'm not afraid about afraid of any of those. They're all just metaphors to, to talk about what you're saying. Why is it when I meet you, I know you're my brother already, but I'm ignoring the other 300 people over here. There's something there. That's why it's like you're a piece of me that's closer to me than they are. You know, you're some of the water that's in my pool and not halfway around the world. And so when we meet each other, there's a spark. And when we can acknowledge that and be vulnerable, like when two dudes meet up and seriously go, what, dude, we're friends? You know, that's <laughs> that's wholesome. And I don't I don't mind wholesome. That's awesome. It's beautiful. It's, yeah, it's, it's allowing us to love, right, which is not yeah. something that we do. And Indra's web, you're talking about, I think it's from the Bhagavad Gita, right? You're talking about the cosmos and we're all connected and each each jewel of the web has the reflection of the entire web. So it's a, it's a microcosm in the whole cosm. So yeah, absolutely. That's that's beautiful. Um, uh, and that whole, yeah, when you find uh, common uncommonalities in people, right? And you're like, you're like, you're like, where'd you learn that? And that's why you can tell I'm trying to, I'm like, I'm like, okay, we're, we're both dialing each other in. And then you're, you're exploring, like, how did you learn what you learned? Because it seems like it's, you see those similar types of paths. And, um, and I think I had the same, I had a, I had a different origin story of, of when I went, I started my own business and I was just a terror to people because I was just this giant victim uh, to the world of why won't anybody appreciate how much suffering I'm in? And it was a terror to everybody. And I, for like 10 years plus, I just went on a journey to not, not be that weak ass bitch, you know? Yeah. And so I'm still on that journey. 
Um, but <laughs> just trying to slowly, slowly let go of that and surrender as you're talking to, because the surrendering is so hard to do, um, but it's, it is really powerful. So I, I, I absolutely feel you on this. Let me ask you a question. So what advice would you give to somebody who is maybe in a situation where they don't like themselves? They're not happy with themselves. They want a change, but they don't know how to do it. What would you, what would you suggest to somebody um, that's more on the beginning steps of that journey? Um, the concept of, of what's called meta meditation, M-E-T-A. Hmm. Um, it's also called loving kindness. Um, one of the hardest things to do on earth, if you're not doing it, is to love yourself. A lot of us don't do it the right way. Um, I, I would say for those people to, to look across your, whatever you consider your enemies list. And if you say, well, I have no enemies, fine. You're annoyed, pe annoying people list, you know, call it whatever yeah. you want to, mm -hmm. but, um, find one of the most benign people on there. And meta meditation is where you, you, you relax and you basically, you give them love. You say, I wish you happiness, health and safety, or, or some variation of that. You'll find very quickly that wishing that on, on someone you don't like is hard to do. And as you make your way up that, that ladder of people who annoy you or that you don't want to give that love to, you're going to find yourself often at the top of those stairs. And there's a meditation that a person named Sarah Blondin does, and you should really look her up. I have one on my YouTube channel, but she's so much better. And she talks about putting your hand here and telling, getting inside there and finally saying to yourself, I love you and I'm listening. Mm. And the first time I did that, I broke down, man. And I mean broke all the way down because I had never told myself I loved me mm. in a real way. Mm. I'd only said, you're the shit, dude. You're the yeah. best. I love you. I, I'd never said, I actually love you and I'll give you water and sleep and healthy food and I'll reduce your stress. And so that that's the advice that I would give. That's beautiful. You cared for yourself as if you were your own child, you know, in that, in that like loving way. But I couldn't do that first. I was one of those people that had to, had to love the others first. I had to get all the way through all the people I was hating before I could love them. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to work myself. I'm gonna tell other people what they should do. It'd be much. It's so much easier. Hey, how about you do all this work? I don't want to do. It. I'm not gonna look at myself. I'm like, <laughs> That's the story of my life, man. I just, I keep having to surrender. Going crap. I actually have to do this. I can't just say it. <laughs> I know. No, it's cool, man. The, the the insights. You're totally right. When you talk about like speaking to yourself and and talking about it, and I mean you. I mean you also nailed the thing. I just I just want to take a moment to reflect on making a list of your enemies and send them love and working your way up that echelon ladder of sending them love and actually really doing it and not holding that hate in your heart. That is a, that is a challenge. Um, that is a, a, an incredible challenge. And if you can, that's, it's incredible. Um, but I, I, I can't imagine, um, an, uh, uh, an easy first step. So I love the idea that you make a list, find the nicest person that you don't like, you know, and start, start there. Right. Uh, that's really a powerful, I mean, exercise if people were to do that, it would, it would change the game. What, um, what were you going to say real quick? I was going to say all those people that you don't like, you yeah. don't like them because each of them has a piece of you. You refuse to acknowledge.
yeah yeah it's, it's so sticky man it's <laughs> I, dude dude that's 100 percent right dude there was um you know i have um i have a friend of mine that i'd always get mad at and i always get mad at him for for fucking up and it wasn't until i realized and people didn't like it like they'd see me respond to him and like ooh, that that dylan's kind of a dick and then when i realized it was i was getting mad at him because i didn't have self-discipline and and I was projecting my own self hatred onto him because he kept messing up, and I didn't have my own discipline to withstand any type of you know anyone goes oh stop I go okay great and just yeah. collapse and there, you, I felt that a lot and it wasn't until you know going through some processes of healing that piece so I I feel that um, very very much. I confess um, I used to do it with my kids. It was it was. Oh, it, it was, it literally translated to, I might as well have been saying, oh my God, I didn't prepare you well enough and you failed again. What's wrong with you? You know, it's, and it's, it's yeah. such a challenge, man. But, the, but when you see it, you're like, oh gosh, and you can teach them a better way. You can teach yourself a better way. That's, and that's the thing is like, but the, but to have the courage to say that is, is it could so much easier to be like, I would never, I would never do that. I'm not that type of person. And they just like, you, know, you can see that, like just shutting things down. You if know, somebody but, says I would never, they are the vice president of that damn family. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. So you're like, okay. Me thinks he doth protest too much. Yeah. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. What, uh, there, there's, um, someone's going to ask you on this. So what is, you talked about life being a game. So what is the, what is the game you play now? All right. What is, mm. what does that look like? Uh, my game now is respond. Respond. It's, it's, um, not react. Mm. It's, it's, I've given myself a promotion. Um, oh, this is gonna sound so stupid. I am, I am the king of my universe. Mm. I sit on a beautiful throne, but I judge no one. But the one thing that I have, the one luxury that I have as king is I have a chance to, to choose. So at every chance that I can, I remind myself to take another breath before I answer or before I, I let the feeling that's roiling through my body pop out of my mouth. Mm. Um, I, if, if, the, the, if, it or, if the origin is here, I try to get it into here first. Um, if the origin is completely here, you know, you, I've, I've learned over the last few years how my body feels when it goes through hell. Um, I, I hate roller coasters. I used to. And so when we went to the parks and over the last few years with my kids, I'd meditate on the roller coaster and go basically be like, what are you feeling? Why are you so freaking scared? You used to rappel down cargo containers and down the sides of ships and take down freaking buildings and vessels with a team of 11 guys. Why are you scared of going over the top of this? And I realized it's because I didn't know it was around the corner. And I was so scared of the unknown and all of these feelings that if, you know, if I, if I wrote it 50 times, I'd be great. It was like, I needed to be trained in everything. I was like, that's nonsense, Sean. You can't, I mean, I didn't talk to myself in third person, but I was like, you can't live a life where tell what's around the corner. And so I finally said, you know what? You're allowed to fail. You're allowed to get hurt. You're allowed to fall down. You're allowed to be wrong. But just try not to react anymore. Try to try to let yeah. it filter before the action occurs. So 
awesome. It's the the it's the thought process that like pain is inevitable, um, but suffering is not. And so you right. gave yourself permission to suffer or not pain, just to feel the pain and, and knowing that you are um, strong enough to, to endure it and which get good, got rid of that whole suffering bit because you're constantly living in a state of wanting to flinch at something. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love yeah. the game. Uh, and uh, the, the, the king of the universe and you sit on your own throne, but you don't judge anyone. And that's so powerful. I got to love them. That, those are my rules. You don't... My interior rules are you don't get to judge anybody. You have to love everyone. And if, if you're not, you have to forgive yourself and do it again. Like, there is no punishment. <laughs> it's it's, But it keeps working. Yeah. So uh, I look at that like code. I look at it like in terms of uh, uh, you have to love everyone. If you don't love everyone, go to love yourself. Then default back to loving everybody. And then yeah. rinse and rinse, repeat again. That's powerful. Yeah. I gave my ego an, a little playroom. Mm -hmm. When I'm pissed off, mm -hmm. I get to go play in there for a little bit and taste it. But then I got to go do the work and I got to get out. You need that. You need that playroom. You need because we are not just we're not all just love and sunshine and things. We, we have this other darkness inside of us that we need to release. We need to break things. We need to destroy things. We need to scream and yell and vent. And there's that because there's a little little boy or little girl for who it is that needs to be heard. And they need to destroy. There's something that they need to get out. Otherwise, then that will lead to another form of repression. And you'll be that really Yoda enlightened person who just screams at the barista for not putting, you know, the extra cream in our Starbucks. You know, so it's it's healthy, and you need to have that space because even releasing that rage is a form of love, which is which is powerful. Um, Sean, this has been beautiful. Um, as as we wrap things up here. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about um, before you tell them how to get a hold of you and the work that you do? Oh boy, um, I guess as as a personal message to folks, I would say that you're worth the time to spend in the mirror, talking to yourself, to sit in quiet reflection and ask yourself what are your goals and what do you want. Mm -hmm. um, you're worth it to to go to therapy and you don't have to tell anybody mm. you can go in there and you don't have to tell anyone what happened. You don't have to make that your new identity. You can, we don't go to the hospital and then, and then go brag that we, you know, that we, well, most of the time we don't, you know, go, mm. go brag that we, we got something done. So we shouldn't do the same thing on the self healing journey. Um, mm. A lot of us lose sight of that. So I'd say you're worth it to take the time. Your life will only get better if you give yourself and the, your loved ones some grace. Um, and frankly, the most courageous, manly thing I've ever done in my life was surrender to the more vulnerable people around me. That's beautiful. So. That's beautiful. Uh, and if people want to find out uh, about you and your work and, and all that you do, how do they how do they find you? I have a website. It's um, Minty hyperspace.com um, m-i-n-t-y h-y-p-e-r-s-p-a-c-e and that is um, we've, I came up with that when we were on our way down to uh, Guadalupe Island to first investigate the, the Tic Tac encounter. I was just thinking you know, this is, it was a Tic Tac, Tic -tac. it's a mint it's fresh, <laughs> hyperspace what the heck um, but that's where that's kind of a repository for my interviews and, and the mm -hmm. stuff we're working on beautiful
mintyhyperspace.com. Thank you very much, Sean. I uh, appreciate you. you. This is wonderful. And, uh, and I'll see you on the other side. Take care, Dylan. See you again. Good brother. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.